0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content.
1: Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron.
0: Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Deborah Haywood. Deborah is a vice president, McKesson Medical Surgical, Government Solutions, um, and we're going to be talking about the supply chain, medical supply chain, resiliency, just where where things are right now in general. And first of all, Deborah, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you again.
1: Thank you so much, Roger, for having me. It's a pleasure to be back here with you again today.
0: Well, it has been a little bit of time since I think we did a show, sort of in a certain sense, coming out of COVID, um, 2022. And we talked a lot about healthcare generally, you know, the supply chain, supply chain resiliency, Uh, what the government was up to. So, you know, just at a high level, we'll start first. What's new in in healthcare generally um, and with the government specifically?
1: Yeah, so healthcare generally, I would say what is new, Roger, is the advancement of telehealth and teletechnology. That has really given us the opportunity for our providers to be able to move more quickly, provide care at a point of care level. There's new products out on the market new advancement for us to be able to have a point of care at a time when a patient needs results the fastest so our providers can diagnose. So from a product level, it's been fast and furious. Our manufacturers are coming to market with a lot of new new technology and new advancement. You know, from a government perspective, I would say the biggest change for us and the biggest opportunity has really been with the Council on Supply Chain Resilience. That from a government perspective is really gonna help us look and analyze some of the vulnerabilities and uh scenario planning really to make sure uh the private sector stakeholders are working with federal and state agencies um, so we can mitigate uh supply chain disruption so that efficient delivery of goods and services top of mind it's still <laughs> top of mind even after the pandemic it's something that we want to focus on lower cost for the american population and making sure uh, that we can provide the care where it's needed most
0: so Deborah, one of the telehealth, um, the growth in that is kind of interesting, and I just want to see how that plays out. So, is that that's a scenario where theoretically you could be in rural areas, right? And you have the ability to talk to a doctor or, or engage um, in that regard as well. Does that translate into you know the speed of delivery of medical you know care or products? Do you see that as you know? actually streamlining the process in a certain sense to be able to deliver health care for individuals? Is that how that's kind of working?
1: I think there's a couple of opportunities for the efficiency there, Roger. Whenever you look at the telehealth and the advancement, when you look at our rural communities, but also our inner cities, we still have problems with our patients getting the care they needed, trying to get access to their doctor, trying to get to the doctor. Caregiver support, caregivers are working, trying to Um, take good care of their family members, but the ability to have telehealth and maybe look at a patient over FaceTime, be able to call a patient and check on them. Our providers are able to do that more real time now, work with our home health agencies, our nurses that are out in the field, being able to actually provide that care in a quick, timely response, provides that patient and that provider the ability to always see what is going on with the patient, not just whenever they come into the office and they look their best. So it gives them the opportunity to see what's going on in their setting where their care is done on a daily basis, assess the needs of what needs to take place, either by a nurse providing that care in the home or in the facility where they are, but also do some of that real-time testing that can be done while the patient's in the home and not depending on the patient to actually have to get to the acute care setting.
0: (laughs) It's a fundamental change, and I think it's fair to say that's and I don't want to spend a lot of time on COVID, but that's something that came out of COVID. I remember having, you know, sort of remote, you know, consultations with doctors during COVID because you couldn't go in and it's kind of a lasting change, I would think. Um, one of the things I would also just from what's new from McKesson's perspective or industry standpoint, are there other things uh, before we start getting a deeper dive into some of these some of these areas?
1: So we have a lot going on here at McCoussin Medical Surgical Government Solutions. We've grown our business by advancing where uh, we need to have the ability to communicate with our federal and state partners the most. Where we've seen that largest opportunity is with lab technology. Lab products are giving us the ability to test patients at home, giving our agencies the ability to have tests on hand um, so the patient can actually self-test before they go into A a place of social interaction where they can actually spread COVID or whatever the case may be. Um, I I think the other tool that we're really starting to see is the advancement into our health equity initiatives. Uh, We just had an opportunity this last last couple of months ago to work with our Indian Health Services. So the concentration and being able to do new things around uh, where is the care got to be provided, what socioeconomics are actually going to drive care, and what kind of care needs. Uh, is supported by the products that we distribute has been really critical for us. We are definitely customer first um, here at McCusson. We always have been. That's been a foundational principle of the, of the corporation. But these new tools and technology and advancement and new initiatives is really allowing us to get into the community and understand how the community operates so we can work more closely with our federal partners.
0: And, and from your perspective, I know we're going to spend some additional time talking about Indian health service and uh, Mm -hmm. the support you all are providing, but just what's been the reaction of the customer to, you know, this engagement and focusing in this area. I presume it's been pretty positive.
1: Customers always love for you to meet them where they are. (laughs) Um, You know, they agree, you know, strategies can be developed on any type of strategic development with a PowerPoint, but customers really want to see you in their communities understanding and asking what's important to them, allowing them to tell you how the product needs to be distributed and where they need the product at, what kind of product do they need, depending on the socioeconomic uh, situation that they're, they're in. So the the response has been overwhelming, um, and it's really afforded us the opportunity to make it part of our ongoing strategy.
0: So, um, you yeah, let's now start, you know, getting a little deeper into some of these issues. And um, the first one I, I really would like to talk about, because it's it's kind, it is top of mind. We hear, you know, at the coalition, we always have lots of questions about supply chain resiliency, domestic manufacturing. Um, you know, just um, how has it sort of changed over the last couple of years or even just you know, from the from from COVID to now? Um, are things improving? You know, are they taking a step back or where, where where do you see it right now in terms of supply chain resiliency?
1: Now, yeah, Roger, first of all, I'd just like to acknowledge the effort that you do with the coalition. The coalition has really allowed us as the private sector to be able to come in and work with some of our federal agencies and state partners. And so that opportunity we're just grateful for because those topics allow us to walk away with additional comments and conversations that we need to have. So first and foremost, thank you for making that a priority with the coalition. I would say how a supply chain resiliency changed. I would say we continue to evolve. One of the one of the key factors is that everybody took the lessons learned from COVID very seriously, and people are still coming together thinking about what are what does need to take place. How does a strategy move forward? Domestic manufacturing has has been a key topic, but at the same time, it's still. You know, how do we get the product where it's needed the most? How do we prevent, uh, you know, over storage or, you know, stop piling too much product? Um, I think the things that we see that are still continuing to hamper us in some ways, uh, the first that comes to mind is really labor challenge. We are still constrained um, as a commercial market with labor challenges, um, and that just makes transportation more expensive, candidly. Um, as you look at fuel prices, the transportation costs that's involved in that, the shortage of labor, that combination, that trio combination there makes it really, really hard for any company, not just McKesson, but for any organization to really be thoughtful and planful. So that demand forecasting that has taken place on how much product a customer needs is critically important now, probably a little bit more important than it was pre, pre-COVID. Um, but you know, I think that what's really, really important for us is just as those economic conditions change, You know, the concern is always, what will the next pandemic be and how will we work through whatever that next condition is? And one of the, the things that has not changed um, over the last three years, which I am very, very proud of, is the commitment. Uh, the commitment from the federal and the state agencies is still very strong to come together and talk about best practices and, and speak about those in an open form.
0: Deborah, that, that's a great, great play, point to stop. We're up at the break, but when we come back, we, talk, we can start talking about some of those best practices um, and, and particularly some of the best practices McKesson is implementing. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is a vice president, McKesson Medical Surgical Government Solutions. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder, and my guest today is Deborah Haywood. Deborah is Vice President McKesson Medical Surgical Government Solutions, uh, and we are talking about supply chain resiliency, healthcare support, just just cross cutting set of issues. And Deborah, when we took the break, you had just mentioned best practices and supply chain resiliency more generally. And I guess I get, you know, Let's start first with just what are you seeing with regard to best practices, and you know, work, you know, the industry support of government and vice versa. Um, how are government and industry working together to you know support the healthcare system and some of the best practices you're seeing?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Roger. You know, commercial best practices that we see today is our customers that are taking advantage, automated ordering clinical, um, working with our clinical uh, teams and and understanding what clinical advantages can be there. And then um, just making sure that we've got good um, withstanding contracts. So I think in that opportunity, what we want to be able to do is bring those best practices into the government space. Uh, The automated ordering gives you the opportunity to understand what's been ordered being able to look at reporting on that so you can look at costs and measurements that are involved and you have a trail of what has actually happened over a designated period of time by a certain set of products. Um, And then just, you know, having that clinical review and having that opportunity to understand what kind of products are actually taking care of the patient and providing the best outcomes. That outcome management is truly, that's how you save money in the healthcare industry is taking care of the patient the right way at the first time. Um, and then just, you know, from the, the contracting speed is just executing a good, clean contract, everybody working off the same, same hymnal, so to say, so that contract terms and conditions are understood with a long, long-term commitment from um, both, you know, the, the contracting entity and the provider.
0: So these, are, those are commercial best practices um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I don't want you to give the government a grade, but just, you know, I think, you can see the government making progress. I mean, it is like an ocean liner, right? Or an aircraft carrier. It takes a long time to turn. But you do see, you know, with the VA's focus on supply chain modernization, that's an ongoing procurement. You know, I think the mid surge program in terms of the BPAs for the products has, uh, you know, worked pretty well for the manufacturers and the actual suppliers. And, you know, and then the VA has awarded, you know, the multi-board IDIQs for the prime vendors, and um, so do you see, you know, what's your assessment of where the, the government is right now?
1: I would say we continue to advance. I don't know that I would necessarily grade them, but I would say okay. we continue to advance. Um, the only thing I would add to what you just said about some of those best practices that we've seen over the last 12 months um, is there is, seems to be more intent for RFI solicitation prior to an actual RFP. So allowing uh, allowing commercial uh, industry to be able to respond back to that, to take some of those best practices into consideration before the actual RFP or contract is actually sent out to be bid on or awarded. The advancement that we've seen from that and our federal partners has been tremendous. The VA has taken a lot of time and consideration to put out significant RFIs, um, take that feedback, and then we're starting to see some of that actually come to fruition um, whenever the whenever the RFP comes out. So It allows for a successful RFP to be done. Um, So I think the the best uh, solution that we can have is to continue to watch that advancement. Um, But I think that allows to just have a smooth contract. I will say, too, uh, whether it's uh, the VA or or other federal agencies, uh, the use of automated technology and ordering platform, some type of e-commerce type platform is definitely there. There's more questions around that. Um, they want to be able to track that information. We still have the supply control tower that is definitely working in the background of automated feed that's going into what manufacturers and distributors are, are doing. But the new e-commerce platform is actually coming, starting to, we're starting to see a lot of conversation around that as well.
0: Yeah. And, and, well, those platforms and the management of the data, I think, man, I get your take on this. It seems to me it's fundamental to, you know, creating efficiencies, saving money and actually gauging, you know, trends in in healthcare as to what you know what what people are being diagnosed with in a certain sense and what products are being, you know, provided in response. I mean, you know, the unlocking of data and management of the data seems to be a place where the government, just generally, say government. I would say it as across the board, as someone who worked in the government for a long time, um, and then worked outside. You know that the government is always a little bit behind the private sure. sector. But uh, you know, from your perspective, you just can you talk about the importance of that data from you know a customer care, customer support perspective. Uh, you know, yes. as a service provider.
1: Yes, as a distributor. The data is critically important to us. Customers want to know when they bought it and where it went, when it shipped. They need to be able to look back to that to understand when it was delivered, the time period it was delivered in, and track how much spend they've had over a period of time. So what we see in the commercial market that is now starting to come into some of our federal agencies is really the use. We've got a McKesson tool called McKesson Business Analytics. But really, Roger, if you just kind of imagine, it's a look into just like uh, you would want to look into what you would spend personally. It is a look into what you've spent on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, yearly basis. It really helps you budget it accordingly based on spend, based on the type of product that was ordered, the disease state that it was ordered for. It helps you manage back as a provider of actually what you're going to spend and forecast on, on the next 12 months. That helps create, you know, what we call a par level from a distributor perspective, but it helps customers stay within a range where they don't order too much, but yet they have enough product on hand. So it gives them the opportunity to look at that reporting real time when they want to do it. It's automated. They can click on it at any time they want to. They don't have to wait for me to deliver it or my sales team to deliver it to them. Um, so that opportunity <laughs> is really advancing healthcare.
0: And what is that tool again? What's the name of that tool?
1: McKesson Business Analytics. It's called an MBA.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Are there other um, that's to me that that's the best practice, right? You're providing, you right. know, basically the information the customer needs to make better, you know, better management decisions in the healthcare system, right? Are there other sort of best practices that McKesson is has implemented or continues to execute on in support of the customer?
1: What we do is we look at um, how often a customer is ordered. We look at the way that they are interacting with us. Uh, to make sure their inventory levels are, and we share that information. Uh, We look at how, what kind of vaccines they've ordered, whether it could be anything from flu or COVID or whatever the vaccine is that they're using could be TB or hepatitis, Uh, making sure that their population that they're managing is actually vaccinated to prevent um, something, you, you know, a disease from happening. So some of that preventative work is really, really critical now that we're working with. Uh, we look at the way our customers order lab products. We look at and we have discussions with them about items and manufacturers that maybe become an obsolete so they can have new or what is the best new product that's on the market. So that kind of information is more of a consultative sale now, Roger, than maybe what we've okay. been in the past as far as a transactional. So to me in the commercial market, the biggest change that we've seen is we've moved more into that consultative move than that actual transactional.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, so that's like a complete sort of solution. That's to me the next step, right? It's not just providing the stuff; it's helping people make, you know, the good business decisions and healthcare decisions they need to make. Um, And yeah, we got about a minute left, and maybe we can start this. And one of the key things, you know, coming out of COVID, or just when you think about supply chain resiliency, um, and and the government's focus on it, and you know, this this term future proofing. And I wanted to ask you about that. Um, And and we can start the conversation. We've got about 30 seconds now left, but (laughs) what is future-proofing? I know it's a longer answer than 30 seconds, but give it a shot.
1: You know, I think future-proofing in 30 seconds is probably exactly just that. We are trying to make sure that we prevent ourselves from making the same mistake again. And you do have a commitment from partners to be able to do that, um, both commercially and private sector and government sector. But at the same time, we've got to come together and be better together than we once were.
0: Great. Deborah. I want to come back. We'll continue talking a little bit about future proofing, uh, supply chain resiliency and domestic uh, production of medical supplies, which is a big focus uh, of the government right now as well. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is vice president, McKesson Medical Surgical Government Solutions I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. Uh, Deborah is Vice President of McKesson Medical Surgical Government Solutions. We're talking about supply chain resiliency, trends in healthcare, um, domestic manufacturing, and future proofing. Uh, Deborah, you know, I, I, I feel bad at the end of the last segment. I gave you 30 seconds to try to kind of try to define. Future proofing, and actually, I thought you did a good job because it is what it is, and a certain <laughs> sense. But um, can you talk a little bit um, to continue that pull down on that thread? Is you know just what you have seen, you know, from a government perspective, industry perspective, how they how they work together, measures that have been taken to try to ensure, you know, uh, uh, you know, supply chain resiliency in the future for when we have situations like we just went through.
1: Yeah. Sure. So I'm glad to. Um, You know, when I think of future proofing, I think about where we were and where we are now and where we could potentially be going. I think the biggest thing that we have continued that is really going to be part of future proofing is the supply control tower. Uh, The supply control tower was an investment that the federal government made. They continue to invest into that system. We did not know where product was. We didn't know how much product was available in the market in the United States. That tool now allows us to do it. So that is step one. We now know what we have available in the United States so we can ship it. And we know the area that would need it most. Um, It's it's simply, you know, done by zip code. And you can look and you can understand which area uh, needs a certain specific product the worst based on the level of incident that they're having in regards to the illness in that certain population. I think step two are certain things like um, Health Industry Distributors of America, HIDA, has actually brought together the federal partners. Uh, federal partners made an investment into working with them to create this playbook that's a red, yellow, green light playbook uh, that manufacturers, distributors and the like have really come to uh, with our federal partners and our state partners to say, what happens when we get we stay in this green zone, things are fine in the United States? What happens when we start moving to a yellow zone? What happens when we move into a red? And what action does each party take to make sure uh, their product is distributed to the right place at the right time? Those are two things I think that are future-proofing us, uh, that are far advanced over where we once were. As long as industry and private sector, our industry and um, our government partners continue to come together, you'll see some of those commercial best practices continue.
0: Yeah. And again, that gets your description of all those things. gets back to the idea of data It is the coin of the realm in a certain sense. When you when you think about all you, you effectively implementing what you described, like knowing where you need to send the supplies, because there's a outbreak of, you know, the flu in Texas or you know, wherever. Not that there is one, but, you know, just by way of example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but in that regard, too, and I meant to ask you this earlier when we were talking about some of the things McKesson has done. So, so I'm going to go back to this a little bit. And just, you know, from a data perspective, what are you all looking at in terms of data analytics and investments in that area to, to even more effectively support the customer that, uh, than you already do?
1: Yeah, no doubt about it, Roger. Data is critical to operate a business today, more so than it ever has been. Uh, The influence of data into the market um, has been just an overload, um, and it depends on how you use the the data. I would say the second scary part of that, though, is cybersecurity is a true problem in, you know, all of our industries, not just the healthcare distributor industry. But, um, you know, that data is so critical enough, it's causing us to take hard looks at how do we use our data? How is our data safeguarded? How do we use data to become part of our strategy and advance uh, what we do for our patients and providers every single day? Uh, McKesson Medical Surgical just acquired a company called Compile. Um, that is a, is a data organization. Um, so I would say we're at the beginning of what we believe data will go. How we will use AI in healthcare remains to be seen. I think um, it is on everybody's list of to-dos, um, including you know, part of people's strategy. Um, but right now, we're just trying to stay with our customers, get them the data that they need, and then understand what AI could be to the organization moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's um, it is. I think there's, you know, moving forward, you know, the, the management of data and the use of data analytics, and whether it's AI or however, I think there's just unfulfilled potential there moving forward. And I think it, it sounds like it's just like a lot of industries, people are trying to figure it out right now. Uh, you know, it's early think, days. Accurate. Yeah. And, you know, but it's something, you know, you do need to pursue that along with cybersecurity. So, um, appreciate that. Um, let's turn a little bit to, you know, when we talk about supply chain resiliency, you know, one of the things there's been a, you know, significant focus on in the federal government in particular is investments in domestic manufacturing. Um, you could, Can you talk a little bit about where that, you know, the Council on Supply Chain Resiliency, Domestic Manufacturing Support and a little bit, you know, if you want to, we can talk a little bit, too, is about like the different rules of the road, whether it's Trade Agreements Act to Buy American and how all those things work, you know, in this context. But first, just domestic manufacturing. Where are we right now?
1: Um, so I would say domestic manufacturing is both an opportunity and a challenge, uh, Roger, just to be transparent. Um, it is an opportunity because uh, there you know the US government made a $1.5 billion investment in domestic manufacturing. What we saw you know with the pandemic is we needed product here in the United States and we didn't have it. Um, and so domestic manufacturing was a critical component of that. I would say the challenge still is though, that product is higher. Uh, the domestic manufacturers that are here in the United States are smaller um, and they need a commitment. They need a long term commitment um, as that manufacturer to be able to continue that production. Um, then they can be able to look at cost containment that is matured over a long term contract that they have security in and knowing that they're going to have to continue business. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we've seen some constraints with those U.S. domestic manufacturers um, that have been set up. And so that constraint is really um, uh, still on the watch list, I would say. Uh, we we definitely know that domestic manufacturing is important. Understanding the balance between domestic manufacturing and manufacturing that's out of the United States um, is, is a focus, I think, uh, for the industry.
0: Yeah, it's, it seems to me um you know, the, the you can make investments on the supply side, the investments in domestic production, but I think you're right on point. If there aren't corresponding, and you, know, you know, commitments on the demand side that you're going to buy the actually buy the product, um, you're building, you know, uh, back in the old days, what was it, a bridge to nowhere? I mean, you're kind of yeah. like you're building the capability, but then you're not taking, you're not utilizing that capability. By buying the end product, and I think it takes both to create viable, you know, um, healthy sort of long-term production capabilities. Um, you know, another thing that I get asked a lot about too is just you know when when people are thinking about production, you know, and the government does talk about nearshoring, you know, al- you know, allied capability production. Um, is, is that is do you see that as more? The government's more open to that um just because of the challenges with domestic manufacturing or is it you know trying to find the right mix as you sort of alluded to because not everything can be made i mean it just it would be impossible to make everything in one place right at the end of the day
1: um you know our standpoint has really been able to have more of a diverse um, uh, opening of opportunities for us to bring new suppliers new manufacturers Um, into the portfolio as as a company. Um, We definitely want to diversify that portfolio. So we, we learn from our own best practices. I think from a government standpoint, of course they want everything to be domestically made, but we have a population of over 330 million Americans here in the United States. And so you've got to have the quantity available for your healthcare workers whenever that product is needed. And so finding that balance as a distributor Um, is is a fine line between what is made here in the United States and what is available through a TAA compliant country. You know, the federal government certainly wants domestic made products, but we also are constrained with time commitments on a contract and pricing commitments uh, that need to be met to be able to um, afford that opportunity. So um, I think there is a fine balance that needs to be seen. I think we still have a lot to learn. Um, at the federal government level on how we're going to procure and long-term procure with long-term committed contracts um, if we expect that domestic production and that resiliency to actually be long-term.
0: Right. I, I think you're right on point. And you could, you know, you know, one of the things we track is the National Defense Authorization Act and the evolution um, from a sort of purely sort of over, you know, initially two or three years ago was by America you know, kind of approach and a lot of the, you know, the policy legislation within the NDAA. Now it's much more nuanced and much more by allied approach, looking, you know, understanding that you need kind of a distributed sort of network of suppliers uh from trusted third parties to be able to meet, you know, the capabilities. Like you said, we're at three hundred and thirty million people. Um so there's been an evolution there too. I think the government recognizes that more. I mean of course there's as you as you rightly note, there's a you know preference for domestic capabilities first and foremost. But I think there's a a growing sense that you know it's going to be the solution is um, a balanced one, you know that does support you know the American people overall. So um, on that note, um, you know, Deborah, we're up on the break. When we come back, I want to uh, you know you mentioned it the in the first segment the Indi- Indian Health Service and some of the support you're. McKesson is providing there. And I want to take a dive into that for our last segment. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is a vice president, McKesson Medical Surgical Government Solutions. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. Deborah is a vice president, McKesson Medical Surgical Government Solutions. We've been talking about the supply chain, domestic manufacturing, um, yeah, healthcare generally, and what's new uh, over the last uh, couple years um, in terms of trends, telehealth. Well, this segment, uh, Deborah, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned in the first segment. You talked about um, your um, health equity initiatives at McKesson, in particular. You know, you you, you mentioned uh, working with Indian Health Services. Can you just talk a little bit about what you're doing there and how you're supporting uh, IHS?
1: yes love to so uh as mckesson employee you get to select an um, employee resource group we call it ergs that you're closely related to or you want to learn something about and uh we uh we have actually a unity erg um, and unity actually stands for uniting native and indigenous tribes um, and that was created here in 2021 so mckesson as a total corporation we're pretty proud of our employee resource groups and Unity is a huge investment for us. From the simple perspective, Indian Health Services you know, is the main provider of health services for nearly 2.6 million American um, Indian and Alaskan Natives and 574 tribes across 37 states here in the United States. And so while it offers us a great opportunity, um, it's really became a priority for McCassin as a health equity event. And we had the opportunity, Roger, in, in Tuna City um, and Western Navajo Nation to do a fair uh, for the indigenous tribes. And it was a great opportunity for us. It was a lot of fun for our employees, number one, um, but it was a great opportunity for us to really show healthcare is important um, and it can be provided at the community level where the, the, the people feel comfortable and they feel comfortable interacting and understanding how health, their health, their personal health can be um, improved. And so, You know, we had two days that we were there. Um, Our team had uh, uh, fun events to be part of, and it it truly was a community fair. But we provided over 150 uh, A1C tests and interacted with more than 1,000 individuals uh, to discuss the importance of their routine checkups with doctors and making sure they were aware of skin cancer awareness and providing them with a list of health clinics uh, that were around their region. So something we're very proud of uh definitely impacts um you know our government sector our team was very uh had a lot of fun being there and look forward to continuing that annual event as we tested
0: yeah can you talk a little about i mean i, know, I mean the healthcare delivery of healthcare for native americans and, Al- and alaska natives is critically important when you think about you know it is a generally i would say a rural setting right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so you need so take getting health care to um the people in who need it in the place where they are, to your point, is critically important. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, just the Indian Health Service, uh, its mission, um, and just some of the statistics that that American uh, Native Americans and Alaska Natives, you know, in terms of their healthcare, that um, that are important to, that we address.
1: Yeah. So Indian Health Services is actually, uh, you know, one of the departments within the Health and Human Services. Um, and American Indian and Alaska Natives, uh, the life expectancy is five and a half years less uh, than the American uh, population. So Roger, that's one of the reasons it definitely was a target for McKesson. Um They, uh, is a population that a lot of our employees take a lot of pride in, a lot of our employees are Native American, it gives them a sense of purpose and uh, fulfilling something that they can do that's meaningful to them outside of McKesson in general. Uh, but the true real reason is because the life expectancy is less uh, than the average American. So investing into that was a critical part of our, our investment uh, when we looked at health equity.
0: Yeah. And moving forward, uh, the event you, you talked about, are, are there other mm-hmm. things that you're going to be doing moving forward in the future that um, you can yeah. share with us?
1: Yes, we are. We're planning additional events. Our corporate um, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion team, is definitely um, looking at additional events for the population. It was um, not just for the population that attended, uh, but for our employees, everybody wants to know when the next one is. And so um, it's definitely on our planning circuit. I don't have a date for you yet, um, but definitely on the agenda for McKesson to continue.
0: And and sort of lastly, just... um because we talked about it in the first segment, mm-hmm. um, your sense of the importance of telehealth. And yeah, we talked about generally in the first segment, but just in terms of supporting um, Indian yeah, Indian health services or supporting um, Native Americans and Alaskan Natives in their health care, given the rural settings many of the folks live in, the importance of telehealth and Trying to address that 5.5 year gap,
1: I think you know when we look at that, we did the fair with a mobile unit. Um, the mobile clinic had an offering of medical services that could check such things as the A1C, um, and that's where you'll see us continue to look at the communities that are the underserved and need to be served, um, so they can be aware, connecting them to a rural provider, and uh, you know working with a telehealth perspective, uh, just trying to get a means so the patient can actually keep up with how their healthcare is trend, is trending um, is a priority. So I think the advancements that we've seen over the last two years um, and the way that care is delivered is exactly where we need to continue to go from future proofing. You know, when you asked me how we're gonna future proof, I think we've got to continue to look at that and we've got to accept the change of healthcare being provided differently.
0: Right, and I you know I think that telehealth is a big deal. I think one of the keys is gonna be you know, data management too, right? The more data you have about, you know, the health, uh, you know, the health status or the health profile of Native Americans and Alaskan Natives, the more effectively you'll be able to deliver health care to those folks uh, moving forward. So it seems to me that's going to be, should be a an, an continuing opportunity to provide uh, improved health care for, for uh, them.
1: That's exactly right. And just making sure that people are in the underserved area, know their closest and nearest provider or pharmacies, you know, McKesson as a total, we all actually have our health Mart pharmacies, which are in rural communities, rural areas. So making people aware of where they can get the healthcare that they need, talking to them about how important telehealth can be, and that it can be done by a phone so they can check in with their provider. That kind of education is paramount for a patient to be able to receive. Uh, the kind of care that they need, the more knowledgeable they are, the more informed they are, the better care of themselves they
0: can take. Yeah, they can take better care of themselves, better outcomes. And actually, also, that actually helps the healthcare system in general, right? You're not spending Absolutely. as much money if you you prevent right. things at the end of the day. Deborah, we're up at the end of the show. Uh, it went so fast. Oh, fun. my
1: goodness.
0: <laughs> so I will have to have you back again um, and get an update on where things are and uh, on the supply chain and resilience and all that source or of, all that sort of good stuff so i want to thank my guest today deborah haywood she is vice president mckesson medical surgical government solutions i'm roger waldron and you've been listening to off the shelf on federal news network
1: you've been listening to off the shelf with roger waldron of the coalition for government procurement on federal news network tune in tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on itunes or podcast one